I'm Dr. Fred Silva of Arcana Laboratories, coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas, with another installment of Throwback Thursday. Cortisone, its history. Philip Hinch, Edward Kendall, Taddeo Reichstein, in 1950, received the Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology for their investigations of the hormones of the adrenal cortex. Here is their story, told well in the report of Dr. Christopher Burns as part of the anniversary of their findings at the Mayo Clinic, Hinch and Kendall, and Rickstein in Switzerland. Hinch and Kendall took the newly purified adrenal compound E from the laboratory to the patient clinic to the Nobel Prize within two years of each other. On September 21, 1948, a woman named Mrs. G became the first patient with rheumatoid arthritis to receive cortisone. An interesting question is whether cortisone would be approved for clinical use if it was discovered just now. If the current path to approval were followed, its side effects in 100% of subjects in preliminary studies, and if the doses were reduced to avoid these side effects, would it be effective in the life-threatening disease for which the FDA would allow clinical trials? As they say, the past is a foreign country, or maybe the present is the foreign country, at least to some of us older folks. Anyways, this story can start with Dr. Philip Showater Hinch, although born with a severe cleft palate, overcame his speech impediment to become a wonderful speaker. In 1922, he became the first medical resident to train at St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota, a hospital that arose from the ashes of that city after a terrible tornado in 1883. Through the dedicated efforts of the Sisters of St. Francis and Dr. William W. Mayo, St. Mary's opened in 1889 and was later taken over by the Mayo's sons. Hinch became the first rheumatology fellow and then head of the new rheumatic disease service in 1926 at the Mayo. I guess you could call his followers his henchmen. Well, sorry, we'll move on. In 1929, Hinch noted that a 65-year-old physician showed relief from his rheumatoid inflammatory arthritis with the onset of jaundice. The inflammatory arthritis lessened for months after the jaundice resolved. By 1933, Hinch found seven such patients and then published. By 1938, he had more than 30 such patients and noted that the severity of the jaundice correlated with the reduction of inflammation. It appeared that pregnancy, infection, and even surgery could have somewhat similar effects. The deliberate production of jaundice in some patients seemed to have benefit. The source of the proposed substance, substance X, was unknown. Hinch's lead to considering the adrenal glands as a source is uncertain, but it was known that surgery led to an adrenal hormone response, and in some ways the profound fatigue of rheumatoid arthritis was similar to that of Addison's disease. In 1935, Kendall, a professor of physiologic chemistry at the Mayo, and Hinch 
were involved in a quite competitive area of isolation of physiologically active adrenal hormones. In animal models, adrenal extracts could rescue adrenalectomized animals from death. Kendall, previously, had been the first to crystallize the hormone thyroxin, starting with 6,500 pounds of hog thyroids. Yuck. When the U.S. entered World War II, rumors were rampant that the Nazis were secretly importing bovine adrenal glands from Argentina by way of submarines to produce extracts for military use. It had been known for a long time that animals who were adrenal ectomized would quickly succumb to even minimal stress, so it seemed reasonable to think that adrenal extracts might protect against stress. There was a fear that the German Air Force pilots, given such drugs, could allow them to tolerate hypoxia and fly at 40,000 feet or more. These rumors were untrue, but the specter of a steroid-enhanced enemy got the attention of the U.S. Armed Services. A number one priority became the isolation and production of Cortin, one of the many compounds found in the adrenal gland. With the influx of money and collaboration with industry, Kendall had a consistent supply of adrenal glands, 900 pounds a week. Despite major influx of investment by Merck and no results, Kendall worried that the plug would be pulled on the project. Two patients arrived with severe rheumatoid arthritis at the Mayo Clinic, and one, Mrs. G., a 29-year-old woman from Indiana, did not respond to the trial of lactophenin, the new preferred hepatotoxin, and refused to leave until she felt better. By day four of infusion, intramuscular, of compound E, her pain and stiffness were gone, and she was visiting other patients to show off her progress. Within a week, she was pain-free and shopping in downtown Rochester, never feeling better in her life. At Merck's insistence in 1949, Hinch invited five master clinicians in rheumatology to Mayo where they witnessed the positive effects in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. During a presentation at Mayo, a New York Times science editor was present and received a Lasker Foundation Award for medical journalism for his series on cortisone and ACTH. Hence, received in 1949, a Lasker. The medical cure led to a black market of fake cortisone. Kendall gave all of his patents to the Mayo Clinic in compliance with the Mayo's doctrine that no physician should profit from a discovery delivered to benefit the patients. Cortisone became rapidly, readily available. However, Mrs. G's improvement in the first two weeks, she became over a period of a month, cushionoid with an altered mood and had to be transferred to a locked psychiatric ward at St. Mary's. Over time, all of the original patients experienced the side effects of prolonged high-dose corticosteroids. Pregnisone and pregnisolone, developed in 1954, had more potency of cortisone and less mineralic corticoid effect and are now the usual drugs of choice. I have not gone over the difficulty all had in extracting, purifying, and synthesizing 
the various chemical structures and properties of the eight common corticosteroid preparations during the years, but I would refer you to further reading in Autoimmune Reviews 2014, Volume 13, pages 331 to 346 by Dr. Chang. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes and Google Play stores. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.